Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader. So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI Leadership Coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership Coach. Your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow. In this episode, we're chatting with Ozioma Egwanwo. She's the founder of Burnbright International. She works with Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits, and also business owners and helps them transform their business strategies and trains them in what she calls visionary future making. It's super interesting. She's also expert faculty at Singularity University, and she even invented a master's level course taught at Columbia University. Ozioma has been featured on NBC, The Guardian. She's spoken at Web Summit, South by Southwest, Adweek, and more. We talked about which challenges she sees for the leaders of tomorrow, what it means to lead across different generations, and what's required for us all that we want to make a difference in the world. And she shares a very personal story growing up in New York City and now working globally. It's a very inspiring and stimulating conversation that makes you want to get up and take the lead for a better tomorrow. So enjoy. Hello, hello, and welcome to yet another episode at Teams at Work. And today we have a super exciting guest. Hi there. It's so great to have you with us on the show, Ozioma Egwanwu. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. So great to be here. Super cool. I'm so glad it works out. I know we got in touch, I think, a few months ago, and it was a really inspiring conversation, and I was really looking forward to this one. So I'm really glad that you're here with us today. Me too. So let's jump right in, actually. You do so many things. You're a keynote speaker, brand builder, and a consultant, and a transformation expert. What type of transformations do you typically help companies with? You know, the kinds of transformations that I'm usually brought into are during the times when the client really feels like they're really ready for change. And they realize that they can't continue to go on the way they've been going on. And so I get brought into for everything as far as like strategic consulting around research, sometimes actually even doing the qualitative research, very oftentimes also just being able to support the story and the behaviors and the mindsets that the client needs to begin to embrace in order to activate that change. And then as the change is being implemented, it's kind of like, well, where do you think we're going? How do you feel about this? And so it can be everything from strategic consulting around path to actually helping to develop the strategy itself, to also being a key element of the development of the strategy when it comes to, you know, research design and research implementation. Gotcha. And is it typically the C-suite, like executive suite that comes to you and kind of has this feeling around, like we're not really going in the right direction, but we also are not, like we're not really sure how to tackle that, or we want to move us into this direction, but we're not really quite settled yet on how to achieve that. Is that typically the situation or how would you describe it? 
It can actually be multiple ways, right? Sometimes it is a C-suite and that's the level of consulting where you're really kind of having those strategic conversations. You're looking at what the current plans are and how do we implement them differently. But sometimes it's actually on a divisional basis. It could be the insights division that says we're doing this massive body of work research to understand the mindset of a customer. And we really want to understand, you know, how do they think and how do they move? Or we're really trying to understand shifts in sustainability and what's really happening there and what are the key transformations taking place? Help us, Ozioma, to get a sense of the landscape and how we can actually implement that landscape. I mean, engage that landscape more beneficially too for our organization. And so it can be on a divisional level. It can be on the C-suite level. It could also be at the leadership level where it's kind of like, what do you think our teams need to be implementing or shifting? Or how can we begin to become more collaborative? What are the trends you're seeing in terms of collaboration and how do we begin to engage those? So I'm totally going to follow up on this because it's a question I was actually looking forward to ask since you see so many things and you are kind of looking at the picture in a very big picture, broad spectrum type of way. So definitely also super curious to see, obviously, what are the trends that you are seeing in the consumer market shifting? Like what moves you when you start? And I can imagine that it kind of depends, of course, on customer segment, brand, and also what the market is. But are there any kind of overreaching trends that you are seeing that play a role for most organizations out there today? You know, one of the key things I love to talk about, whether I'm on stage or in a consulting engagement, is not to forget about the projections around this thing called the transformation economy. Many people kind of thought, oh, it's over, it's not going to happen. But when you actually look at, and this comes from a book that was written in the 1990s by Pine and Gilmore that was then updated in 2019, um, this book called The Experience Economy. And they basically foretold that we would end up in this time that would eventually become what is known as a transformation economy. Most people today are talking about the creator economy. And so we're so focused on the creators and what they're doing and how they're influencing. And that is very important as well. But the larger conversation is that of transformation. So the key trend is how are you playing a role in the transformation of what customers care about? And how are you actually helping customers live their lives better, be more impactful where they want to be impactful and being able to improve, right? So I would say the key trend is live your living my best life, right? The best self is one of the key elements that we're seeing across the board today and brands and companies that are not only helping to implement best self within their customer base, but also within their organizations are the ones that are truly winning. And we see that with Microsoft, we see that with Target, we see that with many other organizations organizations that it's about how can we support people and communities in being their best and brightest selves and how do we advance the conversation along the lines of transformation. And what that also means, right? I think oftentimes it's like kind of the rubber meets the road when you actually can really pinpoint as a brand and as a company what that best self really is. What is this like layer of identity building that you are basically helping the customer with. So this sounds super, super interesting and also makes a lot of sense from a perspective of building a product in that same space as well. It's definitely very relatable, it sounds. I would also add that it's not, when I say best self and you know what that means, it's really a human potential conversation. It's about how do we enhance potential? How do we advance a conversation along the lines of progress? And so whether it's a product, a service, a, a team, an organizational implementation, it's really about how are we advancing the way in which things are today towards a, or a more ideal, optimal reality. Yeah, super interesting. And 
one of the other things that you're doing, which is so, so exciting, and I don't often get to speak to expert faculty at Singularity University. So I'm really curious to hear more about your work there because I can imagine that it's really related and also, yeah, kind of building that better understanding of the future and what we need to make it happen. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I live partially in um, Lisbon, Portugal, as well as in New York and spend increasingly more time in, in Portugal. And I was approached to begin my journey with Singularity U Portugal. And then eventually I started speaking and offering trainings within the Singularity headquarters and Silicon Valley, et cetera. And I would just say the Singularity University is one of those entities that has so much myth and lore around it, you know, because it's been going on for so long. And most people think about it as like completely all about technology and robotics and not human. But that is what I've learned to be far from the truth. It's actually an and, it's not an either or. And so we have a variety of different faculty that is focused on everything from, you know, robotics and the future of food and, you know, impact work, as well as human, right? What does it mean to be a leader? You know, there's a fabulous speaker by the name of David Roberts who does amazing talks about just that. And I kind of also speak on those similar things around culture, strategy, human potential. What does the leadership of the future look like? How do we evolve ourselves? How do we work differently with our teams? And so that's what it's like. It's really about, I would say, the singularity conversation is about looking at the future and exploring how individuals and organizations can make a positive impact in the world from wherever they are. And I just really appreciate the conversations and the work that Singularity U is doing across the board and it's, you know, different countries as well as at the headquarters. Super interesting. And we'll link in the show notes, the book you mentioned, but also the talk. I'm going to make sure that we find that for anyone in the audience that wants to check that out. Maybe zooming in a little bit further, even more into the work-life aspect of our lives. What do you see happening there? What are like the main trends that you see emerging when you think about building teams, enabling performance and thriving at work? How do organizations think or how do even better asked employees and freelancers, anyone who works really, what are the shifting needs that you are seeing that we need to think about as employers, as organizations, a world? You know, there's so many things that we have to be mindful of, right? Cognizant of when it comes to the future of work, because the context itself is transforming. And there's a lot of different factors that are coming into play when we consider that context, right? We have an aging workforce as well as a young workforce that has different needs. So anyone who's kind of managing in this context is actually managing across different generations and really being able to understand what do the different generations need and how do we actually craft programs or how do we collaborate in a way that makes sense across those different generations. You're also having the impacts of the conversation around diversity, equity, inclusion, and now this notion of belonging and how do we create cultures of belonging. That's also becoming very important. The rate of and the pace of change is accelerating. So how do we acquire knowledge and how do we utilize knowledge and how do we share knowledge across our different divisions becomes even more important. Being able to move beyond silos and, you know, that whole protector approach of I don't want to share to say, you know what, I'm going to work in the open. How do we utilize technologies like Slack and, you know, whether it's Box to be able to work in the open so that people can actually see what's going on so that we can make interventions and work collaboratively and address problems earlier. So these are just some of the base level things. And you have notions of empathy and how do we actually bring our full selves to work and how do we address tensions and paradox and complexity 
all of these things are part and parcel of the current state as well as future, right? When we talk about remote teams, hybrid teams, and the role of technology, right? Artificial intelligence and how do we navigate our relationship with that? How do we implement artificial intelligence in a way that actually still enables people to develop and grow and not just rely on it? So all of these things are part of the trends that we're seeing today. And thinking this even further, thinking about specifically, I think that layer of management that kind of sits between the individual and the executive team. So basically people that are leading teams on a day-to-day basis, how do you see their world transforming? So what do you see are the key challenges that leaders see on a day-to-day basis that kind of result from these bigger, bigger trends that you mentioned right now? I would say one of the key challenges is a challenge of cohesion, being able to actually create a culture and teams that are motivated and feel engaged and fulfilled. It's always been about engagement, the culture of engagement, but increasingly, especially with Gen Z and millennials entering into the workforce in this particular kind of way and moving up, it becomes about the conversation of fulfillment. So managers who are in that kind of sandwich space of they're not necessarily the C-suite and they're not necessarily, you know, at the ground level, they are tasked with really being able to develop talent in a particular way that can meet these challenges, as well as to motivate and inspire and inform. You know, one of the talk, whenever I give talks, I always give an example because I pull a lot from nature. And so there's a story I tell about the, you know, the story of the two bees and it's essentially, it's a managerial allegory. And it speaks about how there were these, you know, two beekeepers or what I like to call bee handlers, right? That were tasked with increasing the honey production. And one manager just focused on rewarding those who actually went from flower to flower to flower, right? So activity, that kind of management that's just rewarding busy, busy, busy work, which we know is not actually supporting all the time outcomes. And the other manager told the team what the bigger purpose was, was able to create collective incentives as well as individual incentives, and then was able to say by the end of the actual project, it was not a surprise that this manager's honey production was higher and that people were celebrating those who actually contributed. Because what was found is that in those two teams, again, in this, you know, B allegory, this business allegory, the manager that didn't tell the higher level purpose, right, and only rewarded activity, found that the behaviors of the bees were very protector kind of behaviors. They weren't informing where the better flowers were. They were just so focused on, I want to be the one. And that's that kind of like, you know, when people used to talk about old Microsoft culture where everyone's at each other and not really working as a team versus when it's all about being a manager that can communicate the big purpose, make sure you've designed the team dynamics in a way that supports collaboration, that enables hive intelligence. So that's what we're really talking about here is how do we as managers become aware that purpose is our friend? And the more that we are connected as managers to that greater purpose of the individual purpose that I hold as a leader, the purpose that exists within my organization, and then how do we translate that into the team level? That to me is one of the key components of how leaders have to operate today is guided by a greater purpose that is connected to the organizational aims and goals, but also that can be filtered down in a way where you're also interested in the actual individual on your team and what they care about and how you can inspire and cultivate the best that they have to offer as well. Mm, Interesting. I find it super crucial what you just said about how can we make purpose our friend because it kind of 
has this pre-notion or assumption that it's actually not so easy for leaders to get that value out of crafting a purpose, which resonates a lot with me when I think about our users as well. I think it's still this very abstract topic that is seemingly important. And I think most people would agree, but at the same time, it's just so hard to kind of grasp and make sense of and know where to start. Do you have any advice for leaders of teams to kind of like how to approach this topic in a more meaningful way than we've done so far? I do. I do. I think the biggest piece is really taking the time to connect with what purpose means for you, the bigger why. Why have we come here? What is the meaning of our moment, right? One thing that I always do when I'm working with teams is we get present to what does success really look like? And if we were to truly, truly, truly succeed in this initiative, what would that mean in your highest dreams? And so I actually invite those who are participating in the projects that I lead to articulate it and make it present because so often it's something that's in our heads. But when we actually take the time to say, you know what, this is what success looks like for me. This is why I care about it. This is what my hopes and dreams are. And you lay that out on the line and everyone gets to hear from each other. And then what I always say, now let's put that on the Slack channel. Let's pin it to the Slack so that when we lose our way or when tensions come, which they will, or when we feel frustrated and tired, we can go back to where we've each articulated our individual and collective purpose, our bigger why. And then that becomes a contributor to help us navigate what comes next. Super, super valuable and also actionable. I think that taking the time is a really crucial point because through the obsession of being productive and efficient, and I fall under that same category, like I, I catch myself often how much I'm trying to maximize my own productivity in a way or like my own efficiency, I think it's really counter that like mindset to make the time to think on a more philosophical and broader level. So I think that like allowing yourself to step away from the day-to-day business for some time and also inviting your team and doing the same to actually then come together and kind of download what you have realized, what your thinking was talking to customers without the pressure of like, counting out how often something has been mentioned. I find that there is like tension in this between between this productivity, like efficiency orientation that we, I think, oftentimes <laughs> fall, fall victim to and the making the space. So it really resonates. It's important that we zoom in and we zoom out, that we are able to have the capacity and the skills. When we talk about the skills that are needed for the, you know, the leaders of the future, the managers of the future, and obviously of today, it really is about that capacity to be very granular one of the interviewers at INSEAD actually asked me about this at one point for the INSEAD knowledge platform. And it really is about that. It's about being able to be very granular and then being able to be expansive. And then it's about also being able to go exponential, right? With Singularity, we talk a lot about exponential transformation, exponential leadership, exponential growth. And that means at any given moment, We have to be willing to release our attachment to the same old, same old, the way things have always been done on our teams, you know, what we've seen from maybe historical records and say, you know what, this time can be different. That newness, that sense of innovation and the willingness to disrupt has to be present at all times within your teams and within your organization. It's a capacity and a skill set that has to be built. Yeah, it's just like day one idea, right? It's always day one. We can always rethink things. We can always start from a fresh perspective. You also 
talk in your talks, but also in the work that you do, you talk about visionary future makers. Tell us more about what it means to actually be a visionary future maker and why we need more of those and how can we become them? <laughs> I love that question. So visionary future making is a what I like to call a path as well as a practice of leadership that really is about engaging a more conscious, accountable, intentional approach to leadership that at one moment could be very individual as you as a leader, but it's also about the collective, right? How do we collectively move towards accessing a greater sense of vision and being willing to do what it takes to bring that vision forward, right, into reality? And so very often people are just taking action and they actually haven't really taken the time to say, what is our vision for this? What is the greatest possibility? What is the highest need? What do our times need of us now? I kid you not, if you ask yourself within your organization or just your everyday life, what are the times asking of me? And then you really get present to that and then you begin to say, okay, well, what does that mean I need to do? So visionary future making is about leaders being able to access higher order vision and then being able to say, okay, what does that mean in terms of its implications for me as a leader? How do I need to develop? How does my organization need to develop? How do our teams need to develop? So there's one level that's all about the foundational desired reality. Then the next level of visionary future making is about the assessment, what I call assessing the paradigm, being clear on what are the behaviors and the frames of mind that actually hold you back and what are the behaviors, the frames of mind, the relationships, et cetera, that propel you forward. So visionary future making is also about getting fully present to the current context of what is going on, on your teams, in your organization, in the world writ large. And then from there, identifying what is my commitment to transformation? Because once we know what our desired future is and we're clear on the current positive and negative paradigm, then we have to say, this is what I'm committed to, to transforming it. And the final stage of visionary future making is what I call transformative action. And that's when you begin to identify what are the key actions that are required to transform our team. What is our key action steps that are transpired that are required to be able to advance and to transform our organization? And then on an individual level, what's required? What do I need to do? How do I need to think to transform myself so that I can fully play a role in making the future that I've identified more of a reality? And so those are like the four key, I would say, flows of how you implement visionary future making. And I find that from the time that I unveiled it, I actually was flown to Brazil to give a talk and that's kind of where I launched it. And ever since then, I've been speaking more increasingly about it because I think it's a very inspiring and empowering as well as activating frame for leaders to think of themselves as. Because very often leaders feel so, oh my God, this is so big and I can't and how am I going to? This allows for a very elegant approach to change that I think really from what I not just think, but I know because I've been presenting it to hundreds of leaders already, that this inspires them to actually want to implement changes within themselves, their teams, and their organizations. Absolutely. I love this framework because it gives you this feeling that I can do this too. There is four steps. I can follow these questions. I agree with you. The question of what is what do the times require of us and of me, I think is a very powerful question. I haven't heard it like this before. And I immediately, when you asked it, had like thoughts around our own startup vision and our vision for Bunch and what we're basically trying to achieve. So I think it's very engaging and kind of makes you think right away. When I was listening to you, I had this question around which parts do you typically see 
leaders do on their own and taking that space of trying to reflect on your own motivations? And then when do you bring in the team? If you have any insight on this, like, dance, as I call it, between your individual insights and retrospective, and then when do you actually invite people to join you? Would be cool to hear. I mean, there's many different ways, right? There's the you can also look at it as practices, right? Like what is our collective visioning practice? Like when we join the team or when we maybe in our quarterly review, we take time to identify and visualize and get clear on what does this quarter, what are the possibilities that are emerging for this quarter, right? So that's like on a very granular level. It can also be a month to month thing. So again, these can be very individual practices and processes, or they can be collective. I think that you know, I just recently walked through an entire organizational team with the president, you know, with the president of the organization and different divisions through the transformation commitment statement, which is my favorite part of it, because it really goes into what are you giving up and what are you leaning into and what are you creating and how will you celebrate? So it becomes this kind of big picture visual lived reality emerging right from the fill in the blanks. But I would say that a leader can actually go through visionary future making by themselves and as well as they can go through it with their team. So I don't think that it's really an either or. It's really about what are you up to and what are you trying to transform? And if it's about a collective transformation, then everyone on the team should be doing it individually. And then there should be the opportunity for the collective to engage in it as well. Super, super interesting. I also remember you mentioning the work across generations and that being an interesting challenge for leaders today. And I totally agree with this, knowing from my own experience as well, being a millennial, I definitely see kind of the differences in working with Gen Z or also working with the older population. And it's really, really interesting because many times our perspectives are similar, but sometimes they're also different. I would love to hear your thoughts on like what you observe about the Gen Z as a new generation and how does that differ from millennials and in particular under this prism of work, what do we want to get out of work? How is that different between Gen Z and millennials? I, well, I mean, I feel like there's a lot more similarities than differences. I think when we're talking about Gen Xers and obviously baby boomers, that's a more distinct differentiation there. But like with Gen Zs, it's, it's essentially what I was speaking about, right? They're called the generation that wants it all, right? They want you to make a difference. They want to get paid. They want you to make sure that the workplace wellness, they want mobility across within the you know organization. So these are some key things. And so that's what I always highlight. It's that workplace wellness becomes so important. The way in which they're spoken to communication, I always say, you know, when you think of even like Microsoft and nonviolent communication, you're going to see that book coming through more and more to other organizations, how we speak to one another, how we hold space for one another, how we prioritize wellness. All of those things are emerging from the mandates that are being given by Gen Z. Super interesting. I agree with you. I think there are a lot of parallels, but I agree also that I think from my own experience, what I've observed is there is definitely more boldness, I think, behind the claims that we hear from Gen Z, where like as a millennial, you entered the workplace and it was still very old fashioned and you kind of dare to like, hey, what about work-life integration? <laughs> like, Can we kind of reflect on how we work? So it was almost more coy and like basic while I think Gen Z is kind of really here to like take it all and be well if you can do this and these and these things at the same time I might also just reconsider or like look around and there's just like much much more confidence I feel in the way how they approach it 
Absolutely. Much more confidence and also just putting it out there. But that's part of the influence of social media, right? Put it out there. I would say that Gen Z obviously cares more about transparency in some ways than even the other generations because they are part and parcel of a generation that is all about, we're going to see and let's see how your behaviors truly match with what you say you're really about. And so that holding accountable is to me one of the key, key, key attributes that differentiates the Gen Zs. I was reading a report or so, and I think they called it at... um as like the BS radar or whatever, like basically Gen Z really calls you out on your BS if you ever (laughs) claim and then you can't live up to it. And it's a really great accountability instrument, right? For all of us to drive that transformational change that we want to see and like sometimes struggle to bring to fruition. I think that's the movement in the market that actually enables us to make progress on this. I would say the other key differentiator is also the belief that things can happen and they can happen fast, right? They've seen so many shifts and movements coming across. And so they they know that things can accelerate and go from zero to 100 very quickly. And whereas obviously millennials and other generations are a little bit more timid in that regard because, you know, they've seen kind of a little bit more stability in some ways. And so there are those key differentiators. But I mean, Usually when we talk about the key distinctions, we're usually not talking as much between Gen Z and millennials. We're really going between Gen Zs and Gen Xs or the boomers who will be eventually aging out and the, you know, the Z and the millennials kind of, they kind of tend to become more of a closer cohort than even um, when you compare it to the, those who are out. I totally agree. And I think we see that millennials are also to a degree like a bridge or a have this like translator role. Many times they can relate to the Gen Z kind of needs and they know where they're coming from, but they don't embody it so fully with like so much confidence. And at the same time, they also still can relate to the previous generation and are kind of trying, I feel like, to merge both needs to kind of coexist in the workplace. I think it's a very interesting role for millennials to find to find that bridge and kind of make the inclusion happen, which is obviously a, a huge challenge. But I'd love to dive a little bit deeper on getting to know you personally as well and would love to kind of extend that similar question to you. What do you want to get out of your work? Why do you do the work that you do? I mean, for me, it is all about impact and it's all about legacy and it's all about waking up in the morning and knowing that, you know, the work that I do, the words that I say, the initiatives that I take on have a longer lasting impact than just kind of this transient here today, gone tomorrow. And so even things like World Dream Day, which I created in 2012, like it was focused on helping the world reach its full potential. That was pretty ballsy at the time, right? To be like, I'm going to create a day, but I didn't know how big it was going to become. Definitely. But when I think back into, you know, think about myself and what motivates me, it is motivated by the higher dreams of humanity. The belief that every single one of us has something powerful and unique and, and special inside individually but collectively we also have it. So how do we harness that collective power to transform the trajectory of our current reality into something more beautiful, something more magical? And so I feel like I've always grown up knowing that we human beings have so much more that we are capable of. And it's always been like, I guess, a a perennial, like a little bit of a heartbreak for me that we're not living up to it. And so for me, what I always seek to do is how can I support that within myself and within others to activate their full potential, to ignite that and bring that forth? Because when we bring it forth, we look upon each other and say, wow, look at you, look at me, look at us. 
And so I, I live for that. I live for the look at us. Look how amazing and how beautiful and kind and, and caring we human beings can be when we choose to and when we fully step into it and embrace and embody that, that way of being. It's a super visionary kind of, I think, view to think about work. And it's super inspiring just listening to you right now. I was kind of, I totally agree with this. I am on this team. Let's do this. So thank you for putting that out there and be a guiding light. How do you think did your personal journey lead you to create that guiding light? What was it in your own experience that drove you to this insight? You know, that, that question gets asked of me so many times. And, you know, when I think about it, I think about, you know, I was born in Nigeria. I was raised in New York. And when we came over, my father was a diplomat. So my first school was the United Nations. I didn't know anything about racism. It was like I was living in a world where we were all together and as one. And I honestly, as the older I get, the more that I realize that fundamental imprint of having my first school be the United Nations International School had a great impact on me. And I feel that growing up the way that, you know, United Nations and all of a sudden we were in the Bronx and we were struggling and, you know, seeing the haves, the have nots and really realizing that like, if we work together, that things can actually change. That's always been a part of my awareness and of my consciousness. And then when I left grad school, I have a master's in English, I have a master's also in communications. When I left grad school and began working, I worked at a company called Saatchi and Saatchi. That was my first place of work. And at the time, Saatchi and Saatchi was known for being the love marks agency, telling these grand narratives. And so I began to fall in love with the power of story and how when you have a powerful galvanizing story and you get people on board, magical things can happen. So I think those early influences helped shape me and helped guide me towards an awareness of movements and that movement ideology. And then, you know, from there, it just kind of took off. And so there's always in the back of my mind this awareness of oneness, this awareness of the power of story and storytelling, and also the importance of activation. Because once I kind of moved, you know, was able to kind of work my way up to becoming a vice president of strategy and then cultural insight and innovation, I decided to leave that and begin doing work through the United Nations, supporting nonprofits and, you know, speaking and moderating high-level meetings of the UN. And then I went to the ground level of the community. And so I've been at every single level that you can possibly imagine. I've coached and consulted with mayors and CEOs as well as, you know, I don't want to use the word, but drug addicts, you know what I mean? Trying to empower and, and inspire them. So every level and every echelon, the single mother, you know, the high potential college student, you start to see that every single level has potential and that if we can just elevate just a bit more then we actually are elevating collectively, our, you know, humanity. And so all of this work is kind of part of my journey of all, as you know, Ken Wilber will say, right, all quadrants, all systems, all levels, that integral approach. And I think that that approach is really what informs the work that I do is really wanting to reach as many people within organizations, as well as within communities, as well as just the individual connection to that one person who knows that if they transform, they have the power to transform everything. Because the key and the answers oftentimes lay in all like corners of the organization of communities, right? Everyone, every one of us holds. Absolutely. All corners of the organization play a role. I remember one thing that, that stuck with me, particularly at Saatchi and Saatchi, when they were going through 
a transformation. Uh, there was a chief creative officer named Tony Granger, and he would bring the entire agency together to watch these videos of what great work looks like. And even the person who was sweeping the floors would have to come in and experience what great work looks like. And so I always cite that example when I'm working with teams and with leaders. I say, everyone needs to understand and be on board because when everyone is on board and is willing to take that journey, you can go forward faster and the conflicts become able to be resolved because you're working with the same base. And so within the organization, knowing and feeling and having an embodied sense of what you guys are up to becomes so essential. And that's why it takes time. And it's important to invest in getting that culture, that cultural mix, and that cultural narrative right. And the clarity around it as well. Yeah. I can imagine that not everything has been kind of up and up for you as well, just given this the wide spectrum and scope of the experience that you just walked us through as well. What were some of the more challenging moments for you personally? And what did you take away from them? How did you grow through them? I mean, everyone who is <laughs> is on this particular journey has had challenges where they felt, you know, whether it's their own inner voice kind of doubting or, you know, I've been in rooms where I've been the only woman, I've been the only person of color, I've been the only person who's been of a certain age range. And I think the biggest challenge that I've always had to overcome is to not allow other people's perspectives and their own perceptions of what should limit me to limit me. And that has been a key thing that I still work on till this day is really being embracing that awareness that no one can hold me back. And even myself, if I allow myself to be free, I can't even hold myself back. And so it's been about cultivating a certain mindset and a certain relationship with myself and with others that enables me to be able to continue to move forward without that consistent awareness of a ceiling. Because I think especially for women, I mean, again, everyone has their own inner ceilings, but there's also societal challenges and societal ceilings. And so I feel that that's been the greatest work that I've had to do. In addition to that, I think the biggest piece or gift has been having allies in my corner, making powerful relationships within the organizations that I've had the opportunity to work within as well as to serve and offer strategy to and support their transformation. It's everything, especially within the organizational context, is about relationships. And so learning and evolving the way in which I approach relationships has been everything. I had this very last question that I love asking, but I'm going to hold it back because I'm dying to ask you this follow-up question, which is how do you think can our, specifically for our audience, but also selfishly for myself, what are like the top learnings that you took away about relationship building? How can we create those really strong, those powerful relationships at work, when we meet, through networking, et cetera? What are kind of the key elements for you there? I think the biggest piece is to to the best of your ability, get your ego out of the way. I think that especially within the organizational context, that ego is always roaring, right? Everyone's jostling to appear like they're right or they have more power or what they said is the thing or that the suggestion they made is the one that made every made all the difference. And it's like at some point when you get out of that ego and you really begin to think in terms of the collective and the win, then everything just becomes a dance of how can we win? How can we move forward? How can we connect? And so that to me is key to the key to relationships is prioritizing relationships. 
being able to say, I want us to be able to work and connect and move in a way where the conflict isn't present. And if it does rise, we care enough about this connection and the health of it to do whatever it takes to leave each other whole and not broken. And I do think that that's the future of organizations is focusing on wholeness, focusing on connection, focusing on relationships and really coming together as one team and bringing that energy of oneness back into the organizations in a way that allows us to say, every moment that I encounter you is an opportunity for me to learn more about me, who I am at my best. And so when it comes to relationships, it's about how can I show up at my best and in service to the best that we both have to offer, that we all have to offer. And to me, that changes everything. I'm hearing so many different great things from supportive leadership and kind of trying to understand how to serve the other person, but also kind of like focusing on what unites us. What do we have in common? What are we both kind of fighting for? Super, super interesting and insightful. Thank you for sharing that. I know I didn't uh, actually pre-submit that question, but (laughs) it's a really, really, I think still core and crucial challenge for most people that are trying to build those relationships remotely now, right? Like less opportunity to to come together or in a different way, at least. We have to make it a priority. It has to be a priority. One thing that I've been speaking a great deal about is intentionality when it comes to how we lead and how we cultivate culture and design our organizations. Like nothing happens without intention. Otherwise, it's just kind of wayward. But when you really get intentional about what is it we really want to co-create as an organization, what kinds of relationships do we want to cultivate that's when things get really interesting. And so the invitation to intention is one that I want to make to every single individual, no matter what level that you're hearing this, what level you sit at within the organization, get more intentional and you'll see things transform. Now, typically when Anthony and I do this show together, that's like his question, but I hope to deliver it best way possible. And it's the one where if you think back on your younger self. So let's say you just started out your career, Sachi and Sachi. What is the one piece of advice you would have given yourself knowing what you know today? What would you do different or maybe also the same and double down on something? I would say trust yourself (laughs) and trust the process. Like I truly believe that when you are working hard and you're bringing your all, it will be rewarded. And if it's not rewarded within the organization, it will be rewarded in another organization. And so I think the biggest thing I would say to my younger self is trust that all the effort and the, what you're putting forth will make a difference in your own career, in the, you know, in the lives of those who you're working with, and that they will remember. Like I get so many messages from people who I knew back then that know me, that either read about me or watch something about me now. And they're like, wow, I remember when... And it's like, it just reminds me that like, I was always this person. I just didn't trust the process. And there was a lot of anxiety and nervousness about as all of us have when we're first starting out. But I think this notion of really trusting and believing in yourself and trusting that the work and the effort and the passion that you have, that that is important and don't lose the spark. So those will be the two things. Trust yourself and don't ever doubt or lose the spark. Amazing. I am beyond inspired. Thank you so much for taking the time for this conversation and sharing so much wisdom. I feel like I need to write a notion page up right now to make sure that I don't lose any of the insights that you've shared. But super, super, truly amazing. Not only hearing about what you do and your work, but also to be able to learn from you and all those 
bits and pieces of wisdom that you have brought today. Thank you, Ozioma. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnick and at Anthony A. Rio. Or simply follow Bunch at Bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode, because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think. And that's a wrap. We're your hosts, Daria Gutnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time. Till next time. Till next time. Till next time.